Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. I, um, well, you know, I was doing the background work in some movies and, and I was, I had a few cool roles. I was, my hands, my hands were featured on NCIS and my hands were featured on Westworld. And I got to appear in the Ellen show twice. Once as one of, uh, Huey Lewis's band members, because it was a joke she had. She hung out with the news, not Huey Lewis. So I was one of the news. And then in a weird, weird role, I got the top of my four, top of my head, because I'm bald, played, played uh, Matt Lauer's head. But I'll tell you, I was doing it, I did it for like a year. And I noticed one thing, if, if, you, if you're ever in a movie set, there's always food. There's always food. You can't help it. And I was eating and eating and eating. And, and Joanne looked at me like a while ago and said, man, you're putting weight on. And my pants were getting tight. And now I'm usually around 165. I got on a scale, I was at 178. I stopped doing background a month ago and I lost 14 pounds. So people, when you're sitting there eating, just watch what you eat. If you're working a movie set, keep away from the starchy food. I know it's great. Back away from the donuts. I would sit there, I never ate donuts. Don't eat them, they'll kill you. I, I had bagels every day on set. I maybe have a bagel once every two weeks, but on set every day. So if you're on the movie sets or if you're hanging out wherever there's a lot of food, just be in control. Anyway, I guessed on Twitter and he was kind enough to get back to me and we set it up. Then my guess is Jack Russell. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing really good. That, that was funny. That reminds me of the time we, I, I went to see uh, Heart. And this is, this is no diss on anybody. I, I love the band. I love Ann. I love. I just love them all. Howard Lee's a great guy. We played together. But um, I went to see them, and, and I'm backstage, and I go, "Hey, where, where's Ann at?" And one of the one of the crew goes, "Oh, she's probably in catering." I went, "Oh, no, bad joke, man. This is where Ann was really heavy, you know." So I understand. Yeah, about the food. I mean, same with same with the, the the rock show. There's always like catering and sitting around all, you know. And you're just like, God, I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. After the show, I can't eat. Okay, it's just you're just picking out. Yeah, how? how so, yeah, I, I get that. How would you handle that? Because you know, it's like anything. We we we're, we have a certain inclination when we see food, we want to eat it. And for you, <laughs> when you're going to go on stage and do a concert, I'm sorry. You know, if you walk by and see like a really good looking sandwich, you want to eat it. But when you would go on stage, don't don't you have to feel like light on your feet because you're you're a front man yeah. i mean so would you not eat before shows i used to do stand-up comedy no, and I, I would never eat, eat i don't eat at least at least three hours before a gig so that gives me time to at the, i mean at the most three hours i generally don't eat before a show like i'll get up i'll get up usually seven hours before a gig and that's just is my routine it's been my routine for 25 26 years i get up seven hours before the show um, I just kind of get up, have some tea, um, you know, just kind of wake my body up and then I'll get in the shower and I'll put on my warm up tape and I'll do that. Just really light scales, um, for, for 10 minutes and I'll finish my shower or whatever. And then an hour and a half later, I'll do another set of warm ups and then uh, yeah, another hour and a half, I'll do another set of warm ups and then a, uh, in 15 minutes, I'll do another set of warm-ups. In another hour and 15 minutes, I'll do another set. 
and then it's time to go on stage. So it's so I mean, I've been doing that for for twenty six years. I I, rare, I I try to eat breakfast. I don't like breakfast, you know, when I'm doing shows. So I generally don't eat before a gig, and I don't eat much afterwards because I get acid reflux. So I have to eat. You know, I have to make myself eat when I'm on the road because I just I don't want. To, you know, to, to get my cords all messed up from, from acid at night, and I don't want to be burping up pickles out of a sandwich, right. <laughs> on a, you know, on, in the microphone. Like, guys, you get hit by an onion, man. What happened? Right. You know, so it's, it's really hard. It's really hard, especially when back in the, you know, the days when we were doing big, big shows, and you'd have catering with shrimp cocktails and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, man, sushi when you're in Japan. And that's the one place I would eat. I'll eat till I'm just stuffed. I don't care. I'll be burping rice on the audience. I don't care. <laughs> but anywhere else, eh, you know. Now, now, when when did you start singing? I mean, you know, you, you you've been around. You've been singing professionally for so long. When when were you a kid? Was music around your house when you were a kid? Or when did this whole career start? And when did you get the idea that you could be a rock star? You know, I'm I'm going to tell you a true story, and this is has to do with the title and the cover of the new album. Um, he saw it coming. And it's the picture of, uh, on the album cover is a, a picture of um, two little kids looking into a crystal ball and there's a, a like a, a skeleton pirate um, showing them this in the crystal ball. And they look in and they're seeing themselves years later on stage. And... Um, when I was six years old, I wanted to be an archaeologist, and that was my, that was it, I was going to be that, I, no matter what, that was me, I was going to be an archaeologist, and I was going to be in the Gorge in Africa, digging up bones, and, you know, that was my thing, and my parents, when I was six years old, they bought me the Beatles Help album for my birthday, and I took it, and I put it on my little record player, you know, the kind of little flip-top box, you know, uh, most people that aren't I'm 55 years old, so I don't know. It depends on how old you are, whether you know what I'm talking about. Well, I, anyway, I remember that record player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're a record player. So, you know, most people are like, what's a record player? What's a record, you know? But anyway, I put it on, and I, I was listening to these songs, and, and it was the weirdest experience. It was, it was nothing short of, like, the heavens opening up and... You know, the, the angels coming down, blowing trumpets, going, you're going to be a rock star. And I just, at six years old, I just had this knowledge of that's what I was going to be in my life. And I was like, just blown away. I, I, I mean, I don't even have words for it. And especially at six years old, you know, it's like pretty heavy information for a six-year-old, you know. And I didn't really know what to do with that. So I just kind of, okay, well, that's what I'm going to be, you know. And um, I didn't really grasp the, the, the heaviness of that until I got older. And I found myself 11 years old in my first band. And it was just such happenstance. I was in my backyard and then, you know, I was singing in the, in the school, school band and the choir. And, and, you know, I always sang around the house and I was always listening to music. And, and I was in the backyard and heard this guitar playing from the street above me. So I walked around the block, and there was this guitar coming out of this guy's garage, and I went, okay. So I went up, I knocked on the on the garage door. I said, hey, man, 
you know, you, you, you sound really good. And he goes, oh, my name's Al. I go, my name's Jack. You know, I go, I sing. He goes, really? So he's got a microphone, so I'm singing through his amp. You know, we're uh, doing these uh, David Bowie songs and Black Sabbath. And so we started a band, and that band eventually broke up. And it evolved into another band, and that band I was with during high school. And then I went into, uh, when I was 16 years old, I got the opportunity to play with some guys who were like 22, and they were doing, you know, Starwood and Hollywood, and which is no longer there, and, you know, the Troubadour. And, you know, I'm 16 years old, and I'm, you know, I'm playing Hollywood. I'm like, this is cool. So I ended up getting kicked out of that band because I was all messed up, you know. And, um, ended up going and, and joining this band that I ended up leaving later, but oddly enough, it had the drummer that uh, is with Great White and has been with, them, with the band since 80, 85. And, but, let's see, I met my guitarist, Mark, in 77. I was 16 years old, and we started what eventually became Great White. So, you know, I've been doing this forever. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's been, like you said, you know, I, you said I started when I was 11 in a band. So if you go from there till now, you know, it's a long time. No, no, no. How'd you get the, how'd you get the name Great White? Well, you know, that was a nickname I had for Mark. I used to always call him the Great White because he was really light complexed. He had this like white hair, you know, almost albinish, you know, almost albino-esque, you know what I mean? So I started calling him the Great White, and um, when we got signed to uh, uh, Green World Records, Enigma, um, who eventually didn't want to sign us, but the guy that um, started Enigma, you know, was so adamant about it that he quit the label over us. And he, he we, we had our first meeting, we were supposed to sign the contracts. And he goes, uh, Jack, I don't know what to tell you. He goes, uh, the label, you know, the other guys that own the label did, don't hear what I hear. And, you know, he goes, um, they didn't want to sign you, so I quit. Uh, he goes, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And, and I go, well, I want you to be our manager. He goes, I don't know a thing about managing. I go, you'll learn. So, Alan Niven, that was his, you know, first shot at managing, and he went out, we put our own record out, and, you know, we had every label in town wanting to sign us, and, you know, we ended up signing to one label, EMI America. Unfortunately, the guy that wanted to sign us, Kerry Gersh, did it so he could sabotage us, so he could get be the president, and that's exactly what happened. You know, we ended up going on the biggest tour of the year, the Judas Priest tour, sold out arenas, and the records weren't even in the stores, you know, and, and people were like, you know, we only sold like 100,000 records, so, and our contemporaries were, you know, selling millions. And we're like, so, you know, we left the label, and he, the guy that, you know, signed us became president like he wanted, then we kind of figured out later on what happened, and we ended up putting our own record out again, and we signed a capital, and that's when the Once Bitten album came out, and that's the one that broke through for us. That was our first gold and our first platinum album. What was it, before, when you guys were starting out in L.A., what was the music scene like? 
Like, who were, you know, you said you're contemporary. Uh, who were the yeah. bands, and was it just, yeah. like, because you see stuff about Sunset Strip, and, you know, you see the documentaries. I wasn't living here at the time. And it just looked like it was insane, like, packed every night. <laughs> what was that like? Oh, what was it like yeah. being young, and yet being a young rocker in that scene? What was it like? It was amazing. Those are the days, I mean, that I look back as my my favorite time in the music business in my career. I mean, even better than the days when we were selling millions of records. And it was it was the the unknown, but the known. I mean, I knew that we were going to get signed. I knew that eventually, you know, I was going to get sell millions of records. I knew all that already. So I wasn't worried about it. I was just kind of kicking back, waiting for it to happen, you know. And every time something bad would happen, I'd be like, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. You know what I mean? We've been a, Great White had been on five major labels. And two of those were because I personally, myself, went and got the record deals. You know, I said, I'm not going to let this be over yet. So, you know, as it, anyway, but back to what we were talking about, the... It was incredible. I mean, any night of the week, you could walk down Sunset or Santa Monica, and especially Sunset, you know, outside the Rainbow, everybody was in the parking lot, going in and out of the Rainbow, walking up and down the streets. You know, everybody kind of looked like a version of Motley Crue or, or, you know, not not, we didn't because, you know, that wasn't our thing. But, I mean, it was funny. Everybody was like, you know, looking like they were rock stars, you know what I mean? The long hair and the spiked hair, and you couldn't tell, you know, sometimes who was a real thing and who was a poser, you know? But it was really fun. I mean, the chicks were everywhere, and they just looked unbelievable, you know? And, and it was, it was. I mean, it was a blast. It was so much fun. I would go, this was my usual weekend thing. I'd go on a Friday afternoon, I'd have somebody drop me off, at, at the Troubadour or wherever, and I'd get in as soon as, they, as soon as they opened the doors, I'd walk in, and, hey, Jack, how you doing? I'm really good, blah, blah, blah. And I'd hang out there for a while. I'd go upstairs, and, you know, there was a, a little bathroom up there and in the upstairs bar, and, you know, I'd, I'd find one of the waitresses that I knew, and, you know, we'd have some fun, and then, okay, I'd, We'd hang there for the night and then, you know, walk up to the whiskey and hang out there. And then we'd go down to the Rainbow parking lot. And and when everything was closed up, we'd hang out there for a few hours with everybody hanging out. And I'd find some after party to go to, go there, hang out, spend the night somewhere, and start the whole thing over the next night. And then Sunday, I would... Uh, I'd find a ride home, you know, Orange County. And it was it was just nuts. You know, I mean, I never worried about how I was getting home because I knew I'd find a way, you know, but it was so much fun. I can't even tell you. It was great. The places I ended up, man, we were off the map. Who who were some of the people you were hanging out with? Oh, uh, God, like rockers, you mean? Yeah, like the, the... Guns, Guns and Roses, you know, uh, Slash and, and um, Duff. And, and I used to hang a lot, around a lot with Steve and Adler. He was a, a really dear friend. And uh, Blotcher and the guys from Rats, Stephen Piercy, and, and uh, I remember one night me and Mark Kendall, we were we were at the uh, Troubadour, and Robin Crosby came up and sat next to us and goes, "Hey man, you guys need a real guitar player?" And we're like, 
<laughs> we're a three-piece man. We don't want no rhythm guitar. We're you know we're a power trio with lead singer. You know, and I said no, nah, no thanks. Plus he was really tall, and we're thinking, man, this guy would be like dwarfing us. You know, <laughs> and uh, so we said no thanks. We don't we don't want a rhythm guitar player. You know, so anyway, we didn't. I didn't decide on getting a rhythm guitar player, keyboard player until like 1985. But we went through the. Uh, the early '80s as a you know a power trio with a with a singer, you know. But yeah, I used to hang. I mean, you'd hang around with everybody. I mean, you'd see everybody go to everybody else's shows, you know. I mean, and uh, you'd hear a band plagiarize one of your songs, and all of a sudden it's on the radio, and you're like, "Hey, man, wait a minute, that's <laughs> our tune." They just changed a couple things. I was like, "Oh, dude, really?" You know, so it it was it was like competition, but a friendly one, and then when well, it seemed like when everybody got really big, we were all friends for a while, and then it became this big competition thing. And oh, love those guys suck, you know. And hey, how's it going, bro? And that guy's a jerk, you know. And that's kind of the way it is now. Everybody's nice to each other, you know, when they're when they're around. But you know, as soon as they walk away, it's like oh, you know, there's only a few people that we really call my friends. Now, now, when when you guys, you know. When you came out with the uh, with the album that got the Once Bitten album, did you know that was going to hit? I mean, you guys have been working hard. I mean, gigging. Did you know that album would hit? And and what was it like when it started hitting? And, and then the things that came with that, like shooting videos and touring. I mean, you said you toured with Judas Priest, yeah. but did you know? I mean, did you guys say this is going to take us places? I mean, and, and what was that like to even? think that it may take you places at a young age. Well, you know, that album was the first album that we did. We had done an EP, and then we did our first major release, uh, self-titled, and then we did Shot in the Dark, and we released that on our own, and um, then Capital picked us up, and, and we had, like, the number two song of the year on on uh, KLOS, that was Face of Day, and that, then we started to pick up momentum, and Capital released it, and we sold, you know, we sold a bit, and um, then we went in and started recording the Once Bitten album, and there were some songs on that album that I went, you know what, I think this is going to be the one. You know, I think this is going to be an album that really, you know, puts our feet in, in the cement of, of rock history, you know. And um, sure enough, I mean, I remember recording Rock Me, you know, and and I was sitting there at the, we were sitting there, Mark and I, at the uh, console and listening back to that song after we had finished it. And we were both just had our heads down staring at the console listening and Remember at one point I looked over at him and I said, "Dude, I go, this could be really big." And he looks over at me and goes, <laughs> "He just laughed, you know." And I was like, "Okay." And then it came out, and it was funny because we were afraid that nobody would play it. It was a seven-minute, eleven-second song, right? You know, for the first single, you're not going to play that. I'm just going to play that, you know. So we put on the on the single and on the albums, if you if you look at the record, on one side every song says 357, and on the other side every song says 358. So they got this seven minute single that they thought was a four minute song, okay. you know. So they had they had no problem playing it, but all of a sudden it's like, God, this thing's four minutes. 
No way. And then they realized it was a uh, you know seven minute tune, but by that point, you know, people were going crazy over it. So you know, it, it was just it was one of those things that was meant to happen. And when it did, I was like, well, you know. And then Save Your Love, when I wrote that, I wrote that with a friend of mine, and nobody wanted it on the record. The label thought it was too wimpy. My manager and producer were like, oh, no, it's too wimpy, too wimpy. And I said, just trust me. And, you know, and I said, this, uh, this song doesn't go on the album, neither do I. So, you know, they acquiesced to my, my request, and it went on the record. And, you know, when it became this big turntable hit, you know, it, it was like, yeah, okay, you know, we would play it at arenas, and you see nothing but lighters, you know, you'd have 20,000 people singing it back to me, you know, and it was like, whoa, that was cool, you know, that was, those were the days, Where you know? and, and you know, I miss them, and unfortunately, those days will never come again, yeah. you know, rock and roll was as big as it will ever be, and because of the internet. Nobody buys, unless they find a way to encrypt something to where people can't download it for free, you're never going to have record stores again. You're never going to have the thrill of standing in line for a new release. You know what I mean? Oh, the album's coming out tomorrow. I'm sitting here. I'm going to be the first one to buy it. You know yeah, what I, mean? I Nope. I miss those days, you know, because it's funny. I remember Me we, too, we, man. We, used, we used to get on our bike. Me and my friend Mark Esposito, I told this story last week to uh, my guest. Yeah. And we used to get on our bike... And we would ride those, you know, little banana seat bikes, and we we would go. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, the Schwinn. Yeah, yeah, and then we'd go to the record store, and it was like a mile and a half ride, and we didn't tell our parents where we were going, and they didn't ask, you know. Right. And we would sit there, and you would have your like, I guess six ninety nine or whatever it was, and you would go to that record <laughs> store, and you would examine that damn thing, you know. You'd be looking at it like, okay, there's oh, choice yeah. of two records, but this one. This artwork's cool, or hey, this one has the lyrics yeah. on it, and it was it was a it was an <laughs> event. I mean, you know what it was like? It was an event. You would sit there and you would. Go, oh yeah, I mean, you it would. Was, it if, was, yeah, it was. You know, it was sacred, man. You know, it really was. And you would be. I, mean, I don't know about you, but the cover, like you said, the cover was as much as the music. I mean, back when they had albums, I mean, I used to have a little thing in my room, and it was a little thing that sat on the wall, and I put the cover up there and said now playing you know what I mean and I put the record on it. <laughs> you know, so you could see the cover and just check it out like and I used to love the Roger Dean covers with the Yes albums you know oh yeah they were just so cool you never knew what this one going to look like you know and I remember and, um, it, you know and then the bands like Kiss Live you know that was a cool cover well you know? Kiss Kiss what was cool is the one Kiss album had a uh, sticker in it I don't know which album it was and it was like a it looked like one of those uh, chains, like one of those bandsaw blades, and and you were cool if you had that on your notebook. That means you had the kiss out. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Those, are, I mean, the seventies. You know, for me, that that I mean, that was the, the era I grew up in. You know, and and those are the bands that you know, like Aerosmith. Man, I worship those guys. I mean, I used to sneak out of my bedroom in the middle of the night, go in the back room where the stereo was. I put the headphones on, put on Toys in the Attic, and I just, wow, man. Steven Tyler, I just want to be like him, man. I pierced my ear when I was 12 years old because I saw him on, on uh, their first album, you know, um, with, with, an, with an earring. I go, that's cool. So I had to do that, you know. Everybody at school was like, what's wrong with that guy, man? He's got an earring in, you know. <laughs> you know, so I was the uh, first one in my school, and, and 
first one I knew at my age that, you know, had a earring. So it was pretty cool. And um, the, I remember I used to dream about meeting him and, you know, I'd be cool if we were friends one day, you know, and wow, that happened, you know. Um, I, I, you know, hung out with Steven numerous times. He's called me a lot of times when I needed him, you know. So it's, uh, I mean, the first time I met him, he, I remember he came to one of our shows and goes, uh, hey, man, I was reading this article about you, and I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> and he goes, is it true that you shot that maid? And I went, uh, yeah. Wait, wait what's this? Oh, Joe, come over here, man. What, what, well, what? <laughs> okay. I want to hear when this. When I was uh, 18 years old, I was involved in a drug robbery. I used to, I used to rob people with a ski mask on, and I'd say, give me your coke, or I'll blow your brains out. And they would give me their drugs, and... I'd run out the front door with a friend of mine and hop in a car and we'd drive away. And, you know, this was just like nothing to me. It was like, okay, it's like going down the store and getting a, you know, pack of bologna or something. And that's how, you know, much I was addicted at the time. I didn't even think that was weird. Right. I remember telling, doing, doing, doing a bunch of it with Kendall. I had a ton of it. He goes, where'd you get this? And I go, I told him a story. He goes, okay, well, whatever. He didn't believe me, you know. <laughs> And um, uh, I went into this house one time. I was told that this uh, guy was dealing coke, you know, and blah, 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 blah. So we went there to go rob him, and I was smoking PCP, and I blacked out when I went in the house. And the guy I was with, he knew, he looked at me and could tell I was just not even there. And he ran, he split. And I went outside, I guess I was harassing the maid, you know what I mean? I was like, give me the Coke. And she was like, we don't have Coke. Look in the refrigerator. We only Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, and I know it's funny because the, 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 the uh, skit, you know I mean? No Coke, just Pepsi. Right, right. You know? um, and um, I, I, I don't remember any of this, by the way. So I guess we were wrestling and the gun went off. And the only reason I had it loaded, because it was a revolver, and if you pointed at somebody, they could see there was bullets in the chamber or not. So I just loaded it to make sure that when I pointed at somebody, they didn't realize it wasn't loaded, and it, you know, beat the crap out of me, you know? So, anyway, um, apparently, from what I understand from the transcripts, um, the, the dad was downstairs with the horses, and he looked up after he heard the shot, and he saw me wrestling with the maid, and she was squirting with the hose, and, you know, I was, you know, doing whatever. And he ran to the house, grabbed his briefcase full of money. I'm just quoting what it said. And when he went into this bathroom and, and locked the door. And somehow we got back in the house, me and the maid, and she got away from me, and um, I guess I chased him, and, and she ended up in the bathroom with him. And they said I was outside the door pounding on this door and putting these big cracks in the solid oak door. And the next thing I remember, I'm on my knees in front of this door, and there's a gun. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I hear this, oh, come on, your hands up. We have this harbor swat. And I'm like, oh, man, that's right. I came here to rob Donnie. I go, oh, my God. I go, I know what I'll do. I'll take the gun and I'll throw the bullets down somewhere and then they won't know it was loaded, so it won't be that big of a deal. So I take the bullets out. I didn't even notice that I had fired two shots. 
And by the way, what happened before the second shot, apparently I shot through the door. The door went, the bullet went through the door, hit a St. Christopher medallion on the maid's neck and ricocheted into her shoulder. Oh, shit. Saving her life and mine. I got eight years in court, um, which they, when you go to uh, uh, California Youth Authority, they resentence you. They sent me up north where the one and only drug program is that if you had not, if you had 18 months, they would cut it down to nine. Well, my eight years went to 21 months, and 21 months went to 11 months in this drug program, and um, which was the first time they've ever, ever accepted anyone with more than 18 months. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I went in with, with eight with eight years, you know, for shooting somebody, and I, I got out in 11 months. Uh, a year and a half later, I signed my first record deal. See, that's So, right. I mean, you know, it, it was more than a miracle. I mean, it was destiny, and I, I'm so blessed to have, you know, to have everything turn out, you know, in my favor, but it was like, it was destiny. It was just like I knew when I was a kid. I'll be, I was in jail and people are going, wow, what are you in for? I go, well, I'm going to be a rock star. And they're like, what? You're in jail, dude. I go, I know, but I'm going to be a rock star. And everybody in jail is like going, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, they're you like, know? yeah, and, yeah, and, and I'm then, innocent. <laughs> it's like, when I got out and it happened, I had people calling me that were in jail with me going, you know, dude, I can't believe, it. I heard you on the radio, and I go, well, I told you, you know, and they're like, yeah, we're going to come see you when you come up to Sacramento, you know, and I'm like, okay, it's just weird, you know, I don't know what to say about it, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, but, you know, it's just part of uh, the amazing, weird and wacky life of Jack Russell, I guess, you right. know. So, so you, you get out, and you, you said you get the record deal. Now, when now MTV played a big part in your guys' career because MTV was new. What I mean, what was that like when you shot a video? And did you know that that MTV would have such an impact? Because you know, people like we talked about records. It's the same as MTV. When MTV had a world premiere video, you were psyched. And when they had the top ten countdown, you wanted to oh, watch yeah. it. What was it like for you guys to I, shoot a video? Did you think it would have an impact? Oh, I, you know, I hated videos, to be honest with you. They were just long and boring and just, you know, you got to get there at 6 a.m. to put the makeup on, and then you start shooting at 6 p.m., and you're like, oh, my God, what are we doing, you know? I hated them. I can't, I mean, but the, the end result, I was, you know, that was the cool thing. I mean, you know, like I hate it, it rehearsing. But, you know, when you go on stage, you're glad you did because your band's really, you know, tight as a frog butt, you know. And uh, so, you know, we made some cool videos and, and you know, had some beautiful women in them, you know. I mean, Bobby Brown, that was her first video. It was in uh, Once Bitten, Twice Shy. That was before the, the Cherry Pie video, which, you know, made her a household name. But she was in a few of our videos. Um, and... You know, I, I mean, when when we did videos and MTV happened, you know, it was great. It was exciting back in those days. But let me tell you something. When MTV first came out and everybody's going, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing for rock and roll. I go, you know what? Mark my words. It's going to be great. But there's no way they can keep playing music without commercials. 
I go, it's, it's going to be the death of us. I go, eventually it's going to turn into something completely different and it's going to be a bad day for rock and roll. And sure enough, you know, it was great, man. We had number one video, you know, once been twice shy, most requested video across the nation. It was like, yeehaw, you know, we were riding the wave. And then the next thing you know, it's, oh, we got real world and, and MTV became MP. TV, right. you know, there was no music at all, and it just, it didn't help us then, you know, people making all this, spending all this money on videos, and there's nobody to play it, you know, and VH1 at the time, when they came back, they were playing all the old videos, they weren't playing anything new, so, you know, if you're a new band, you had really no, no way to get your video on MTV, unless, you know, you were somebody that was really, really big and coming up, you know, like Creed or something like that. I think they got some rotation. I don't really know, but I mean, it It turned out to be just like I said, it was a great thing for a while, but it was just, you know, it was terrible. I mean, if I tell people, I go, do you think it was an accident the first video they played was Video Killed the Radio Star? Right. Yeah. I go, that wasn't any accident. And I go, people don't even realize that. They go, really? That was the first video? I go, yep. I remember and that. I go, don't tell me they, they didn't know what they were doing when they played that. Now, now, as your video is big and you guys start getting big, do you start headlining tours? How does your concert start changing and how does your popularity change? And what is it like when you sit there and start touring at a mass level? Well, you know, it, I hate to say it, but you're so busy and you're so, you know, caught up in the moment that I look back on my career and I look back on those big tours and I can remember uh, maybe four or five shows that stand out, you know, the rest of my career kind of, you know, well, no, I, I, if I put my whole career in, in, in like a, a, a box, all the shows I've done, I could probably you know, have maybe 20, 30 shows that I really remember if I think about it. Because really, I mean, it's like going to work at a factory. How many days do you really remember out of those days of doing the same thing? You know, people go, God, you must just have all these incredible stories from all these shows. And I go, yeah, I got some good stories, but... You know, the, the ones I remember the most are the ones before we were signed. You know what I mean? When we were all living in a little house, when, you know, with, with one of the road crew who was paying the rent, and we were all sleeping on the floor. And I mean, I could talk more about that than I could talk about, you know, our headline tours. You know, yeah, they were fun. I mean, we toured with Tesla. We did the doubleheader tour, you know. I remember some moments. I remember when Brett Michaels came up and wanted to sing a song with us, you know, and come on stage and went, yeah, okay, let him, you know, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's cool. He reciprocated, you know, we were on the road with him in 99, you know, um, he'd have me come out every night at the end of the show and sing with him, you know, so, you know, it, it was cool. I mean, but, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say those days are over and, and, but I'm so glad I was a part of it and I could say, yeah, I was there on stage when rock was as big as it will ever be. You know, I mean, it would be nice to think that, you know, you could put out a record as a rock band, you know, a, a classic rock band. And, you know, we have, well, 
I mean, if there was any record that was ever going to do it, I would say our new album would do it if it got the uh, attention, you know. But, you know, uh, um, you can only wish and hope and dream and pray, you know, that, that I'm able to do it again and we can pull something off. And, you know, wouldn't that be great, you know? Um, but, you know, nowadays it's everything's reversed, you know. There's no record sales, really, because... People would just go download it, you know. There's no record stores to buy a CD at, so, you know, oh, I could go online and I could, you know, either get this for free or I could pay, you know, so many cents a piece for a song or, you know, it's sure I could download the whole album from this uh, certain website and not pay anything. You know, it's really hard. You, know, you go out and you gig and you gig and you gig and you make your money off touring whereas in the 80s and the 70s and you know before the internet you know the people the only way they had to get your music was to go to the store and buy it you know now but my favorite band broke up man i can't imagine why well maybe because she didn't buy their music you stole it now right. they have to feed their family they had to get a real job what, you know, you know, you know so, uh, it's weird. What, what, you know, and we, we, I've talked to these people about this, about, you know, there aren't any rock stars anymore. You know, you guys were rock stars. Not, but it's not because of record scales, but why don't you think there's any rock stars? Because you, if you think about it, you know, there's not really, I mean, the last, you know, people who are rock stars, you can say, are like Dave Grohl and the Eddie Vedders. But why don't you think there's any rock stars now? Is it just because people don't, one of like rock stars like for me when i was you know younger rock stars were just people who were cool you know they were like cool and they did what they want why don't you think yeah rock they're, stars? They're, but you couldn't imagine you know gene Simmons taking a poop you know right. <laughs> it's like i just i don't think he does i think he's beyond that you know or you couldn't picture robert plant you know pissing on somebody's lawn you know <laughs> but I know what you mean, and you know, today I think it's because the public has such a short attention span, and they don't have time to really latch on to somebody and go, wow, you know, that music is so good, I'm going to listen to everything they got, it's like, oh, what's cool this week, oh, okay, that's cool, oh, I like that, and then something completely different comes in, and I go, oh, I don't remember who I was into last week, it's this week, you know, it's just... I mean, when the 90s, I remember bands were selling 3 million records and they couldn't even tour clubs. I'm like, now that is pretty bad, you know? I mean, when you have, a, when you have that many record sales and that many fans um, and you can't even play 500-seat clubs, I mean, that's pretty sad. You know, I mean, it obviously tells you that these people, you know, aren't dedicated followers. They just, you're just, uh, you know, a uh, 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 grain of sand on the beach, you know? I mean, back in the 80s, there was, that's when it all started to fall apart, I think. I mean, because every band, every label had, you know, 10 versions of the same band. Like in the 70s, man, you had one Zeppelin, you had one Aerosmith, you had one you know, Santana, you had, I mean, there wasn't like a ton of bands that were all the same, you know, you didn't have 15 Motley Crews, you know, only called different names, you didn't have bands that, 
you know, were, okay, well, we can't have that band, so we'll sign a band that kind of resembles them, you know, or these guys will look great on MTV, the chicks will buy the records, the guys will go to the shows to, to, to see the chicks, and they'll buy the records, you know, and then when you put it on the radio, they went, what? What is this garbage? Right. It sounds like a bad version of, of you know, Rat, or Great White, or Guns N' Roses, or Dokken, or whoever, you know, it's just, it's like, Making a carbon copy, you know, the the farther from the original, the less clear it gets, you know, and and the more homogenized and and you know filtered everything started to become, and and you couldn't tell one band from another. You had all these singers that were and they're B singers, C singers, you know, fronting these bands, and there was nothing like really great about their voice. You're like, who is that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's just some band, you know. And well, the song is okay, you know, but they sound kind of like you know a bad version of these guys, you know, or whatever. And I think that's what killed it. Radio just they said, well, "What do we play?" You know, you're handing us this pile of BS and telling us to play it, and it's, it doesn't sound good, you know. So consequently that opened the door for a totally different type of music you know where that's where i think uh, nirvana got its the door opened up and then music completely changed for a while and then people got tired of hearing guys talking about how they're all rich and you know here entertain me man you know it's like what you're gonna sit there and stare at your shoes and tell me you're a millionaire and, and you're, you're, you're bummed out about it. Right. Like, what blue collar guy can relate to that? It's like, hey, dude, I'm working nine to five, busting my butt, digging ditches, and I'm, I'm going to buy a record and listening to your rich butt complain? Nah. True. You know, and then that kind of just, you know, it, it was just too morose and depressing for me. I want to hear about, I want to hear, man, rock music should be about celebrating life. You know, when you went to the concerts in the 70s and the 80s, man, we're all this big place, we're all together. You know, I mean, everybody, even though we didn't know each other, man, we're all smiling at each other, man. People are passing joints around, you know, and it was just, wow. And the, everything would go dark, and then this explosion of electricity would come from the audience, and then all of a sudden, poof, you know, Zeppelin's on stage, or boom, there's Aerosmith, Steven Tyler's jumping around like a maniac, you know, or David Lee Roth, or whoever, you know, um, Jack Russell, whatever the, the case may be. It was really cool, you, you know? know, it was an event. And nowadays, you know, uh, I don't know, it's, it's weird, because we play some big shows, you know, and there's a lot of people come out, and and there's a lot of people that are, you know, second generation, third generation fans, and it's a mind blower. You know, you get these all ages shows. You're like, wow, maybe this stuff does have a chance. You know, you know what I, you know, it's you, you know what I miss about the concerts. Remember the frisbees? Remember everyone would throw <laughs> like no one. I go to concerts, no one does that. Like I remember that was a big thing. Like you throw frisbees around. Oh like, yeah, oh. well then it became the the, the beach balls. Right and the things that everybody's kicking beach balls around or balloons or you know it was all everybody was just doing something together, you know it was a it was just a moment you know an hour and a half or you know a three hour concerts with you know three bands or whatever it was going to be, and it was a time for us all to just kind of forget 
that our rent check's late and that our boss is bagging on us or, God, my wife's a bitch, you know, or whatever the case may be, it was a time for us all to forget all that, you know, or, God, I'm failing math, you know, who cares, you know, kiss is playing, I don't care what I'm getting in math, you know, and that was the cool thing about it, and still is, you know, people come to, to the concerts and, you know, I still get people that come up and they're crying and they're shaking when they meet me and they're like, oh, you're a saw, you're a legend. I'm like looking at them going like, okay, that's, you know, wow, that's awesome, you know? I mean, it, it, it's still a great feeling. And I hear myself on the radio, it's still the same rush as it was the first time I heard it. No. You know, so there's something to say. I mean, you know, I, I think people... You know, once you're a rock star, you'll always be a rock star. They can't take that away from you. They can't take away the fact that, you know, Great White sold X amount of records. We got nominated for a Grammy. You can't take any of that away. You can't take away the fact that we played for millions of people all over the world. You know, so whatever happens now, you know, is just icing on the cake. If I can just still make a living making music, man, hey, I've, I've done what I said I was going to do. And that's, if you hear the song or the title track of the new album, that's it says, you know, there was a boy who, you know, who was told he was going nowhere, and it says, you know, but um, but now he's a man, and he and he did what he said he would do, you know. I mean, it, it was it's just it talks about my life, and it talks about you know, hey, you know, I know I've been counted out a thousand times ago. Oh, this guy, he ain't coming back. Oh. You see the state of him? Oh, he's in the hospital again. He broke this. Oh, he fell down drunk and busted his pelvis. Oh, he's not coming back. You know, oh, we, wow, he had a, his, his, uh, his colon burst. Oh, my God, he's in the hospital with a colostomy bag. You know, he ain't coming back. You now, boop, here I am. I always come back, you know. Uh, and now I've had over a year sober because the last time I was in a coma, they told me I was going to die if I drank again, so I decided to say no to that. Well, you no, know? and um, everything's going great. Now, now you hurt your back very bad a few years ago. Oh yeah. Now, now, what is that like when you, when you know, as you said, you're a rock star. People want to see you on stage. I mean, you slipped and fell in your bathroom, or what? What happened? And then how? Long yeah, yeah, that was the first thing that happened. I was putting up some curtains, uh, and across the doorways because we had a very modern house that we had rebuilt and, and we had re, we had refurbished and we gutted it and made it all modern so the, the the bathroom was all stone and you know uh green glass and and we had a big tub that was in the center of the room and there was two doors on each side of it and i was putting up um curtains to go across the doors and I slipped off the ladder and, no, I'm sorry, I was standing on a bucket. It was this big bucket and it was filled with, a, you know, some paint. And unfortunately, there was less paint than there was me on the bucket. Okay. And I fell backwards and I landed on the uh, square tile that we had around the tub. And it, it like busted a bunch of vertebrae in my back and also herniated <laughs> one of my discs. So I had to have back surgery and it, it didn't go well. 
the first surgery went great. I had two days of no pain, and then I was in my house, and I did something stupid. I got up to pick something up, and I felt this tug again. I'm like, oh, no, no. The next day I woke up just writhing in pain. So I had to have another surgery, and that took, uh, unfortunately, like a year for that to uh, stop being painful. And by that time, I was full-blown, just prescription, uh, you know, drug addict. You know, I mean, they, they give you this stuff for the pain, but they don't tell you, hey, you know, by the way, you're going to become a total drug fiend after you've been on this stuff for, you know, a couple of months. And when, when you know, and you gradually take more and more and more of it, you know, you're going to do anything to get it. They don't tell you that part, you know. And then when I was ready to come back, I was just, I was, I was a mess, put it that way. And I was drinking all the time and taking just, mass quantities of opiates and you know consequently i was falling down all the time you know and i have osteopenia because i used to take a lot of steroids for my voice and i'd be like oh my voice doesn't feel good you know so i take some prednisone wow it's great okay and then i started to rely on that well one of the one of the uh bad things about that medication is it weakens your bones so I remember my doctor telling me 20 years ago, you keep taking this stuff, 20 years from now, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, 20 years from now. And here I am 20 years later, and, you know, uh, my bones are snapping. I'm like, well, I just fell down. I shattered my whole pelvis. You know, I fell on stage and shattered my left femur. I had to, I called the security guys over to bring me a stool, and I finished the show lost two units of blood in the process, you know, I was in so much pain, but I wasn't going to stop the show, you know, so it was uh, really, really weird. So, so you, you get, you get back healthy, you know, you get sober. So now do you, do you start to put these experiences in the songs on your new album and how, you know, do you, I mean, what is it like when you have, when you're putting this new album together, do you feel you've grown a lot in your songwriting um oh yeah absolutely i mean this record is the epitome of anything that i've ever done you know and it is the best record that i have ever sang on it's the best my voice has ever sounded it is musically by far the best record that i've ever been on and um, the players in my band are I, I, they're just phenomenal. I mean, we've done some stuff in this record that I never, ever thought I would be listening to and going, wow, we did that. We have a song um, that is nothing but vocals. It's, it's all a cappella. And, it, I mean, it's got... When my guitarist approached me with the idea, I was like, uh, yeah... Uh, idea of an uh, uh, acapella song in, in a rock band. I'm like, I just don't see it, but, you know, I, I trust you enough and your song sense to let you go ahead and, you know, give it a shot. So, you know, we had Bob Proust in the record, and so he took his time and he he came up with this uh, music and, um, you know, and he's played for me on my guitar and I sang the melody and then I wrote the lyrics and and then kind of forgot about it, 
And then one day we were down at his studio. He goes, hey, I want you to hear something. He goes, I finished that uh, acapella song. I go, oh, I forgot all about that. I go, you finished that? He goes, yeah. I go, well, I got to hear this. And um, he put it on, and I was literally speechless. I had just chills from head to toe. I'm like, you're kidding me. That's all vocals? I mean, it's like the bass sound like a bass guitar, all the boom, boom, and the, the, the drums. I mean, I'm, I just realized the other day, and I asked my drummer, I go, what were you playing on that? He goes, that was a beatbox. I go, what's a beatbox? He goes, no. I'm like, no, you're kidding me. I, and it's an amazing song. It's called Godspeed. And, you know, the title track's incredible. I mean, it's about, about my, everything really is about, there's a song called My Addiction that people just love. And it's really dark and honest. And it's about where I was at you know, at my deepest, darkest place, and it doesn't hold anything back, you know. And the same with, uh, you know, every song on the record. It's it's about my life, you know. I've always written very autobiographically, you know. And um, there's only one song that I've written that I can think of that wasn't about me, and it's called Spy vs. Spy, and it's on a new album. I don't know if you remember Mad Magazine. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, do you remember that little episode they had every every magazine? Yeah, it had was great. Spy vs. Spy. It was great. Black yeah, Spy, White Spy. It was great. Black, yeah, the blacks that look kind of like a weird bird. Right, right. And the other one, yeah, they're always trying to off each other. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a song about that, you know? Just, what the hell? Maybe they'll get in a movie or something, you know? So I wrote this song called Spy vs. Spy, and it... Everybody was like, oh, man, really? And then I, I showed it to Robbie, my guitarist, and he goes, wow, that could really be cool. So I showed him how the music went, you know, and, and he picked it up and he took it and, you know, uh, lockerized it. And um, it just came out just stupendous. I mean, I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, wow, that's great. I'm, I'm just thrilled with the whole record. And, you know, everybody says that about the new album. Oh, it's the greatest thing since Slice Bread. You know, uh, but I, I guarantee you that when you hear this record, you're going to either love it Oh, you're going to hate it, but you're not going to go, oh, it's okay. Okay. You know, I, I think most people are going to go, holy, wow, you know, that that was, that's Jack Russell's great white. Man, that's, it's this, I talked to a, 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 a journalist in London um, a couple hours ago, and she had listened to the record several times, and she just goes, wow, it's one of my top releases of, of you know, my top five releases of the, of the year. And then the, the title amazing. is? The uh, title is uh, uh, He Saw It Coming. And so now, and now, 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 on, because oh, we have to wrap up soon. Now, the website is Jack Russell's Great White. Yeah, dot com, right. And now, what's, what's your Twitter? Uh, the Twitter, <laughs> you're not asking the right guy. You know, just, uh, just tweet. <laughs> Probably Jack Russell's Bray White or Jack Russell. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a computer dude. I'm, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I do my lyrics on a stone tablet with a chisel. That's how <laughs> archaic I am. You know? Um, so you'd have to, you'd have to say, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, Jack Russell. You know, I would imagine. 
and then, um, or you know, Jack Wilson's a great Wyatt. I don't even know what how you get on Twitter. I'm sorry, I, I feel like an idiot, but you know what? I'm just I'm afraid of technology, man. Go away! It is this song. Our first single is called "Sign of the Times," and it's about that. It's about how technology has really taken over. You know, the art of communication. You know, I mean, you don't. You know, I don't want to really talk to that guy. I'll just go. Hey, really busy right now. Talk to you later. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like I don't have to talk to anybody. I just text them. I'm busy. Right. You know, and it's like I find myself so distant from people now. I, I look at them. Where are my friends all at? And I'm thinking, well, dude, you blew them all off with your stupid texts about you're always busy. You know. And, um, you know, so now I'm starting to call people again and say, hey, man, how you been? Well, I thought you were dead. You know, I haven't heard from you in a year, you know, right. <laughs> ever since you got that new phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, uh, I don't know, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but I'm trying not to let it get the best of me. So that's where I don't know that much about it. And I, I kind of don't really want to know because I'm kind of afraid of technology. Well, you know, that's everyone has their thing. Now, now, y'all, now you have a few concerts coming up. Is it you still have that great feel when you go get on stage? Like you said, you love when you hear your song on the radio. It's still, you know, it hits you. Do you still get that? A, oh a great- yeah. Are, are you kidding me? Because if it didn't, I wouldn't be doing this, man. This is too hard. At fifty-five years old, where what and what I've been through. I mean, almost every bone in my body has been broken. You know, every vertebrae in my back has a compression fracture in it. You know, either it's healed or it's not. I'm actually four and a half inches shorter in my back because of degenerative disc disease. I mean, my hair hurts. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so, you know, I'd have to be getting some kind of, you know, fun out of it. I love it. I love being on stage. I love singing. I'm singing better than I ever have. People are like, God, you sound like you're 25 years old. I go, well, thanks. You know, you can double that and add, add a one to it coming up in December and you'll be, no, I'm sorry, add a six to it in December and you'll be right on. You know, so it's, uh, I, I, I still love what I do. I still love playing and I, I love doing shows. I love touring and it's something I don't ever plan on stopping until you know, the good Lord decides it's time for time to take his voice back, you know? That's awesome. Well, I mean, you know, I want to I thank you for coming on. This is a great interview. I, I enjoy talking. I'm a fan of the music. And I always love to talk to musicians, you know, who think the same about music as me. You know, we miss records. We miss stuff like that. So, uh, so, yeah. so the website is uh, jackrusselsgreatwhite.com. You can find your tour That's dates cool. there, the new info on the new albums there. So people go... Go to the website, go see Great White Live, and you know, and find Jack Russell on Twitter. Just type Google Jack Russell Twitter, and you'll find him. So follow him, people. Also follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. I'm at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have 570, I think, episodes up there. You can also email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I will get back to you. Uh, Instagram, Words with Friends. It's Cooper Talk One. Uh, Instagram, I put a lot of pictures of the food I make because, as you know, when I had that health problem, <laughs> I wrote a cookbook. So you can go to my website, stopthesalt.com. It's 120 low-sodium recipes. They're, they're healthy. There's no pictures to intimidate you. There's no big list of ingredients. You can get it at amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. But if you get it at stopthesalt.com, I make more money and I sign it. But I tell you that every week and still people buy it at Amazon. Give me some damn money, people. So anyway, I will play you. I will play you on Instagram. I will play you on Words with Friends. Follow me at Cooper Talk. 
go to go to jackrusselsgreatwhite.com. Go see them in concert when you're in your town because you'll enjoy it because you heard he still likes rocking and his body's been through a lot and he still gets on there and comes out and puts a hell of a show on. So go to coopertalk.net. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.